Good morning. Welcome to Branches. I'm Amanda Clark. I'm the pastor here and so happy you're here this morning. Uh, Welcome to our online family. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're so glad you're here. Uh, wanted to let you know that if you would like to participate in giving an offering this morning, you can do that with the cash or check box in the back or any of the digital options on the screen. That's the way that uh, people who call this their church home give back to Jesus a little bit of everything that he has given to us, which is everything that we have. I want to say before anything else, man, last Sunday was awesome. Woo! Thank you to everyone who came, just came here in general, and also to those of you who worked extra hours and extra time to make it a super special day. Thank you so much. I loved it. It was a really, really special day for us, and um, I'm so glad. And, you know, we moved last weekend. It was pretty nuts for Justin and I personally, but it all happened. We had an Easter morning, and our house is set up, and I only got two cold sores from stress in the process, so, you know, it's all washing out. <laughs> but thank you to everyone who gave extra last weekend to make it a special day. I also want to let you know about two things coming up that are really awesome opportunities for branches. So we have been invited to participate in a woman's retreat and a men's conference. And this is so great for us because we're a small church. It's, um, you know, at the stage we're in rebuilding from COVID, we're not likely to put one on ourselves, but our good friends at the Syracuse Vineyard are having a retreat and they've specifically just invited branches to be with them because they love us and they want us to be with them. And the retreat is at Epworth Forest, which is in Webster, so it's close by. The speaker is a woman named Julie Beter, who I know from my previous church. She's really great. You're going to love her. So I would love for you to get signed up on either Church Center or branchesvineyard.org slash events for that women's retreat. And um, if you have any questions about it, you can talk to Tammy Pattison. She's kind of our liaison for this event. And then we also have a men's conference coming up, and that's an area men's conference. So every church, every vineyard church in our area, which is about 13 churches, is invited to come to this men's conference. It's in June. Uh, June 17 and 18, and they are asking that we get signed up quickly because they want to have a really solid headcount. So this is a really awesome men's men's conference because we are our like guest speaker for this is Phil Strout, who yep. <laughs> He was previously our national director. He just stepped down after like over 10 years of serving in that role. And he's, his heart for men and for the vineyard is so beautiful. And I think you'll really enjoy it. So both of these are opportunities to get away from home for a little bit of time, have a break, be with people that you already like being with here, and um, get encouraged and built up. So please sign up for those. Okay, we are in our very last sermon of our Jesus at the Table series. And I'm honestly sad that it's ending. This has been one of my favorite series that we've done because I just love the idea of coming together around the table, sharing a meal, and, and being together. And that's, you know, what, what we want to do in our own homes, and that's what Jesus did, and that was the way he built his community. And today we're talking about um, the time Jesus 
had breakfast on the beach with his disciples. And the reason that we've been doing this series is that we're um, focused right now in this season, what we feel like we've discerned the Holy Spirit is calling us to, and this time at Branches, is building a loving, spirit-centered community. And, and that's a community where people can come and feel gathered in and feel safe and cared for like a family. It's a place where people are attentive to the work of the Holy Spirit in their own lives so they can speak words of encouragement over other people so that their lives are looking like lives lived in the Spirit. And the reason that we did this series, Jesus at the Table, is that if we're going to try to build a loving, Spirit-centered community, it seemed useful to say, what kind of community was Jesus building? And especially in the book of Luke, we see that the kind of community he was building was built around the table in close proximity, in conversations that linger, in unhurried space. And so we were, well, I wanted to look at like, hey, what's Jesus been talking about at these dinners? So over the last you know, eight weeks, we've talked about how um, we don't reject broken people. We actually pursue them and go after them like Jesus did with Matthew, the tax collector, who nobody liked, but Jesus liked him and he went after him. And similarly, we reject false value statements. Jesus was having dinner at Simon the Pharisees, and this woman shows up that everyone thought, eh, she's no good. And Jesus uh, thought that she was very good, and he loved her and gave her a place at the table and, and called her value something different than what everyone else did. And that's what we want to do is, what does Jesus say is valuable? And, and then we talked about how in the community Jesus was building, it's a place of abundance, like the way Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few bread and fish. And out of that abundance, you have a particular role to play in the kingdom of God, a particular way you're gifted, in the same way that Mary and Martha didn't have the same gifts, but both gifts were good. And then we uh, t- had dinner at Zacchaeus' house and talked about when how we really see Jesus, we're transformed, and it causes us to be reconciled to God and to other people that we have wronged. And then we um, had dinner again at Mary and Martha's, and this time Mary anoints Jesus' feet and anoints his head with this oil that was used to anoint um, bodies after they had died, to prepare them for burial. And she was showing him that she was present with his suffering. She wasn't going to ignore the fact that she knew he was going to die. And then over the Good Friday and Easter service, we talked about how we come to the table as a family to remember Jesus. So we, we come to the table where we drink the juice and we eat the bread and we remember that Jesus himself is our life. He is our food. He is our table. And uh, then today we're talking about how Jesus' love restores us. And that's the kind of community he's building in us. So in the community Jesus was building, love restores us. And today I pulled a lot of wisdom from Marianne May Thompson, who's a New Testament professor at Fuller and wrote a great commentary on the book of John, and Rich Viotas, who is an author and pastor in New York City. He wrote the book called The Deeply Formed Life. And so in this story, we're talking about the time that Jesus and Peter 
are on the beach and they have a hard conversation after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And if you know a little bit of the story or were here on Good Friday, um, Jesus had had a final meal, the Passover meal with his disciples and other people um, in preparation uh, for his death, his coming death. And he talked to them at that meal and gave them the new covenant. And then he told them like, guys, tonight's going to be really hard. And Peter, you're going to deny tonight that you know me three times. And Peter's like, no way, I'm never going to do that. That's not going to happen. And then it totally happens. (laughs) He uh, doesn't, he can't, it's too risky for him. Jesus gets arrested and Peter follows him to the temple guard's house. And if he lets on that he's friends with Jesus, what's going to happen to him? And he can't do it. So he doesn't. And so we're going to go through the story of kind of like they're making up after this really horrible event. And I hope that you'll be paying attention to what Jesus is speaking to you through this story. And so this is a conversation between friends that comes after one friend has betrayed another, which happens all the time in relationships. We hurt each other. And and there are layers of pain in this conversation because not only was Peter one of three of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, Peter also denied the Messiah, the person that he knew was the one chosen to redeem Israel and the person that he had claimed to be willing to follow even if it meant his own death. And so this is a hard conversation and I hope that we'll walk away with this deep truth in our heart that it's love that restores us. So let's get into the story. This story starts after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's already made a couple appearances. And now um, this is the intro to this story. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the others said, we'll come too. So they went out all night, but they caught nothing. So I'm just going to pause there and say, what's your gone fishing? What do you spend time on when you need to work something out in your heart and mind? What I'm hoping is that you have an activity that clears your mind when you feel overwhelmed and frustrated to help you figure out how you're feeling, what's bothering you. And I want to encourage you to not think of that activity as a waste of time or pointless. In fact, it might be good for you to lean into it and cultivate it because God's often at work showing up by his spirit in the activities we do like fishing or gardening or whatever to clear our minds and allow us to figure out how we're really doing. And I think this is what Peter was doing, you know, like he was overwhelmed with everything that had just happened. There was like a lot going on. Jesus died. It was horrible. He betrayed him. Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, this is like a lot to process. And so whenever he felt that way, he knew there was like one thing he could do that would clear his mind and that always felt great and made him feel better. And that was staying up all night fishing would not be my activity of choice, but 
That's his thing. And so he, um, he was probably frustrated in the morning when they didn't catch anything all night, but he's a professional fisherman. That's what he did for a living. So he's bound to expect some fishless nights on the Sea of Galilee. But he wasn't expecting what happened next. So they fish all night. They catch nothing. In the first light of dawn, they're not that far from the shore, and they can see someone standing on the beach. And it's Jesus, but they can't tell that it's him because they're just far enough and the light is just breaking, so they can't see that it's Jesus. And so Jesus calls out to them, fellas, have you caught any fish? And they're like, no. And he says, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get some. So they did. And then they couldn't haul the net in because there were so many fish in it. And then this is what happened. Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped to his boxers for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore because they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooked over a charcoal fire and some bread. Also not my choice for breakfast, but you know, they've been out fishing all night. They're probably hangry. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Okay, I love this story. This is like one of my favorite ever stories. It just shows the friendship of Jesus, his tenderness, his affection for his friends, the same kind of affection that he has for you. First, Jesus shows up at dawn to surprise his friends. Who does that? It's really early in the morning, but he knows they'll be there, and he wants to surprise them, and he surprises them by performing a miracle, like no fish all night, and then so many fish that the net's about to break, and and after the frustration, you know, of not catching anything, that was just like such a sweet surprise, a parting gift, and I, I bet you can think of a moment or two in your life where something happened, and you're like, I know that was you, Jesus. You just did that to be sweet to me. And that's, that's what Jesus did in this moment. And then Jesus cooks them breakfast and invites them to sit and eat. And they're hungry and they're so happy to be there and sharing this special time with Jesus. Because when Jesus came back to life, he made it clear that he didn't come to stay And he wasn't with them all the time. He appeared to them in this moment, which means that he wasn't always just there. He had to leave the earth so that he could send the Holy Spirit to come live in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. And so this is one of the last times they'll see Jesus on the earth. One of the last times they'll sit around a fire with Jesus. And did you catch the part where it said, not one of them dared to ask who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he must have looked different because this wasn't the only time there's mention of something like this. So before Jesus was born on earth, 
He was not a human. And then he was born on earth, and, and he died, and then he came back to life. And when he did, he was still a human, which speaks of the incredible value that God places on the human body and on the human experience. But he was more than a human. I think that his godness showed more after he was raised from the dead. Maybe his skin glowed like it did when he was transfigured on the mountain. I think he was radiant. So picture this glorified, risen Jesus. And he shows up and gathers up driftwood and squats down to start a fire and guts a couple fish and grills them. The glory of God builds a campfire and sits around it with his friends. It's so beautiful. And as beautiful and as special as this moment would have been for one of them there, it was very bittersweet, very mixed emotions. Because as Peter sits around the fire with Jesus, we remember that the last time we saw Peter was on Good Friday when he sat around a fire in a courtyard, warming his hands over the fire on the night that Jesus was arrested and was forced to stay up all night being interrogated. Around that fire, he had denied three times that he knew who Jesus was. And Jesus knew it was going to happen. He told him so beforehand, but it still hurt him. And it hurt that on the worst night of his life, his friends ditched him and claimed to not know him. See, Jesus had appeared a couple other times in John's gospel already. And so he's probably interacted with Peter, but it doesn't seem from the account that they've had the time to have that hard, awkward conversation And now it's time. They've had breakfast. They've been sitting around the fire. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Meaning, do you love me more than you love the rest of these people sitting here? Peter says, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. A moment passes Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So let's dig into this conversation to see what's going on in the surface. Because what I think we'll find in the end is that in this community, Jesus was building. It's love that restores us. So first of all, when Jesus asked him these questions, there is so much happening that is not being said. And this happens every time we have a hard conversation with someone who knows us intimately. A close friend, a spouse, a child, a coach. There's the stuff that you say, and then there's the whole second 
unspoken conversation happening. You know what I'm talking about? Every word is loaded with meaning and emotion because something hard happened in the relationship and both people know what's being meant on top of what's being said. And in this moment, Jesus and Peter are working it out. And so I want to show you the process of forgiving, loving, and moving on that happens in this conversation because it's exactly the kind of restoration that should be happening around our tables. It's the kind of loving, spirit-centered community that Jesus is building here. So, you know, just personally, between us and God, not between us and other people, when we've been far from God, or our hearts have been in a state of denial, meaning like we've been living like we don't know Jesus, we often don't want to acknowledge it to ourselves or to Jesus. But that's so sad because we can't move away from self-condemnation until we acknowledge where we've been. So what Jesus does in this moment is to give Peter an opportunity to acknowledge his denial. And so I think these questions were acutely painful for Peter. I wouldn't be surprised if he's crying. These three questions exactly replicate the three denials. And by the time Jesus asks him a third time, it says Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked him. I would bet he was in agony emotionally. And Peter knows how to count. He gets it. Jesus is confronting Peter. And he's doing it so gently, so tenderly, the same way he confronts you by conviction from the Holy Spirit, but he is exposing Peter's betrayal, bringing it out into the light. It's the one thing that Peter would rather, you know, get a root canal than talk about, but it's also the only thing that will heal their relationship. When we've hurt someone we love, it can never truly be healed until the wrong is acknowledged. And Jesus loves Peter too much to force him to be the one to initiate it. And he loves him too much to let him pretend like it didn't happen. And if you have someone in your life who loves you enough to gently confront you when you've betrayed the relationship or holds you accountable when you've done something you know you shouldn't have, it's a priceless gift. And I hope that you can be mature enough to receive that. At the beautiful, lovely way that Jesus confronts him simultaneously heals him by asking, do you love me? Three times, he is canceling out each one of Peter's denials. Three times he denied, three times he says, I love you. And Peter understands it. Jesus is releasing him from the harm that he caused to the relationship, and love is restoring him. And I think this is really special. Jesus could have asked him a hundred different things. Why did you do that? What's wrong with you? But what he said to him, the question he asked him is, do you love me? And it's loaded with Jesus acknowledging that he knows what happened. Like, I know that you know that I know what happened, Peter. Do you still love me? And Peter's response, you know I love you. Is Peter acknowledging to Jesus that, yes, he failed and he will never, ever get over the regret and shame he feels over that. And if he could do 
anything to undo what happened that night. He would, and he knows that he can't, but he's so utterly convinced of who Jesus is that through all his shame, he's still showing his face to him because he loves Jesus with every cell in his body. And here's something to know. Even in his shame and deep regret, Peter went toward Jesus. He didn't run from him. Of course it was hard. Of course it was painful. But when he saw Jesus, he jumped in the water and swam for shore. So here's what I want to ask you. This might not apply to everyone, but if it applies to you, pay attention. Are you still benching yourself for something that happened a while ago? Maybe something happened that you know did not put you in a good relationship with God and you've tried to forgive yourself, but it's not working. Sometimes we're on the bench because we're so ashamed that we don't even ask Jesus to forgive us. We don't even go to him. We just decide that we've gone too far and we can never go back. But the story of Jesus and Peter having breakfast on the beach reminds us that our past or maybe current regrets don't have to keep us from God. Do you see the way that Jesus pursues Peter? He doesn't wait for Peter to say all the right things or grovel at his feet. He says, do you love me? And the implication is that Jesus is saying, because I love you and I I still want this relationship, do you? And, And this is the way that Jesus is pursuing you. And the story of You know, if Jesus could forgive and restore Peter after Peter betrayed him in his darkest hour when Jesus needed him more than ever, there is nothing that you can't be forgiven and restored from. If you're sitting on the bench, get up. Go to Jesus. Tell him your heart's been cold. Tell him the whole story. Tell him how you've been far from him. And then tell him that you love him. Tell him that you love him and let yourself hear him ask you that question. Do you love me? And then say it to him over and over and let his love heal you. You don't have to stay on the bench. There's one part of this conversation that we haven't discussed yet. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? Three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. What's happening in that moment is that Jesus is restoring Peter to his calling. Jesus had much earlier said to Peter, you are a rock and on this rock I will build my church. So Jesus had told him that he would be a leader in the community that he was building, that Peter would be a cornerstone of the church. And now Jesus The good shepherd is restoring Peter to that calling by saying, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And when Jesus said this, he's going to be leaving the earth very, very soon. And he will send his Holy Spirit to live inside each of us that follow him. But there will need to be a person on the ground who can lead this new group of followers because every movement needs leadership And they have been used to like literally following Jesus around Galilee and Judea. And it's going to be different from now on. 
And Jesus knows that someone needs to lead and he wants it to be Peter because Peter's the right person for it. And what he did doesn't cancel out his calling forever. So they have the hard conversation. Forgiveness is extended. Peter confesses his love and Jesus moves on. He lets it go. He doesn't hold his feet to the fire. Now, if Peter had responded with defensiveness or blame or if he had avoided Jesus entirely or changed the subject when Jesus brought it up, it might have been different because we have to be accountable for both our actions and how we repent for them. But Jesus knew that Peter loved him and actually was ready to die for him. He just wasn't ready the first time he was presented with that possibility. His heart was right. His character was growing. He just made a really big mistake that hurt Jesus bad. But they worked it out and Jesus moved on. He restored his calling and recommissioned him to shepherd, to lead, to pastor the group of people that had been following Jesus. And this is the kind of community that Jesus was building. A community where we can always come back into God's presence, even if we've been far away for a while. A community where we can passionately sing and confess our love to Jesus, even if we're still cleaning up a dumpster fire in our life. A community where we can have painfully authentic conversations with each other, where we can become healed when we've had a rift. A community where there's a path to reconciliation, where acknowledging the betrayal in the relationship leads to forgiveness and confessions of love because we're going to hurt each other. And where a person who's really owned up to their behavior and repented of it can be restored. And that's the real work of community that washes away all the fake niceness And politeness, oh, how are you? I'm just fine. Everything's perfect in my life. That we are so used to and so sick of, right? This is one of the things Jesus is forming in us as we build a loving, spirit-centered community. Because real love has hard conversations. And real love has hard conversations in the spirit of tenderness. So as we wrap up, I want to lead us into our next steps. And next steps are something that we do every Sunday here at Branches. And the reason that we do it is that it's really easy to sit through a sermon and then go have lunch and you've already forgotten everything you've heard. Don't worry, I do it too. And this is a way for you to interact a little bit with what we've discussed today, with what you've heard that stuck out to you, and and just write it down. So it kind of just becomes a little bit more real, a little bit more solidified before you leave today. Because I think there's always a takeaway for you in every sermon. And that's what we're trying to focus on. So as we're headed into our next steps, please take out the orange connect card in the seat back pocket in front of you. There should be a pen too. And you're going you're gonna to write your next step on there. And then you can either put that in the offering box on your way out the door and we will pray for you to take your next step in our staff meeting this week or you can take it with you or take a picture of it, whatever's helpful to you. 
And so I'm going to give you a couple ideas about what your next step might be, but it could be anything and you can write anything on it. So maybe your next step is getting intentional about that activity you do to clear your head, feel your feelings, like going fishing or planting flowers and being intentional, more intentional than you have been to find God's presence in that activity. Or maybe your next step needs to be praying about the hard conversation that you need to have, a gentle confrontation that you need to initiate, or that conversation where you need to go to that person and say, I know I was out of line and I'm really sorry. So maybe on your card today you write, God, give me courage to have that conversation and and courage to initiate it the right way, the right time to bring it up. You could write, God, give me courage. And this week, as I was writing this sermon, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying there are some people here today who know that in your heart, you've been far from God. Or maybe God's just kind of been over here in your peripheral, but for any number of reasons, you've been carrying on with life like God's not there. And in a way, you know that there's some denial of God in your heart. And I feel like Jesus is saying to you, like, come on, let's talk. Let's talk this out so we can move on from it. I love you. Do you love me? And so that feels like an invitation from God to you right now in this moment. Here's the next steps you might need to take. You might need to confess your denial. As I said before, if Jesus loved and restored Peter, there is absolutely nothing you can't be forgiven and restored from. But you need to talk to Jesus about it. And so maybe you could write on your card, Jesus, forgive me for... Forgive me for acting like you're not here, acting like you don't care. Maybe that can just lead to a time of you talking to God, telling God where you've been and where your heart's at. And then take time to confess your love to Jesus. Jesus, I still love you. I I know I've been away, but I love you. And if you sense the Spirit kind of speaking to you, just listen in. If you feel emotional about it, that's good. That means God's at work in your heart. If you don't, that's okay too. And then just wrap up by maybe just saying, Jesus, I will follow you. I'm still in this. I'm in this. I love you. I want you. Thank you for being patient with me because he is so patient and he's always going to keep pursuing you. So I'm going to pray, and then Alicia's going to come up and lead us in our ministry time, and we'll have one last song and close. Excuse me. (coughs) So sorry. (coughs) Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We love you. We love you. We love you. Our hearts say we love you. And Lord, we all know that in many different ways we have denied you. And the way that we've loved others poorly, and the way that we've loved ourselves so poorly, and our greed or lack of care for those in need. Lord, there's so many different ways that our hearts have denied you. And we are sorry, but we say, Jesus, we love you. We love you. We're in this. We will follow you. Lord, I just pray that you would cause your spirit to descend on this room and that we would be filled with just love and affection for you and would be able to pour it out on you because you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.
At this time, we are going to be moving into our prayer ministry time. And this is a time we take every Sunday because we here at Branches believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and moving and speaking to us. And so we want to take this time to really press in to what he's saying to us. And maybe there's something specific that... uh, you would like to press in about maybe um, something that Amanda said really struck a chord with you this morning. And this is going to be our time to do this before uh, leaving for the day. So there's a few ways that this looks. Um, Number one, when we, um, every Sunday morning, we meet as a team and we pray over the service and we just ask God specifically, what are you doing? Where are you moving? Do you have any words for us today? And those words are on the screen. And I really encourage you to read through those. Um, and we really felt the sense this morning that there was um, a specific call for anyone feeling um, hurt or sadness or brokenness um, through a variety of things. There were like three or four different words that went along with that. Um, and so we really believe that if that is you, that God is wanting to move greatly in your lives today. So if there's anything else on the screen that applies with you, we have some ministry team members um, back um, between the lamps in the back of the room who would love to pray with you over anything on the screen or if there's something um, else that you have going on in your life that's not on the screen. We would love to pray with you and just to press in and come together um, with you in that. And then finally, we're just going to take a few seconds here and just quiet our hearts and listen for the Holy Spirit. Because like I said, we believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And maybe you're needing some encouragement. Maybe you're needing to cry out to God and tell him that you love him. This is a time to begin that process of of being restored. And so I'm going to ask that if you're able, will you please stand with me? And Justin's going to play for a little bit, and we're just going to take a moment, just like we started our service, we're going to close our eyes and hold out our hands. And I encourage you to just ask Holy Spirit, what do you need from him right now? And just press in for that. And we're going to sit here for a few seconds. And if you feel something, you feel a stirring in your heart, and you want to continue to press into that, um, like I said, the ministry team is available and waiting and would love to play with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, would you calm our hearts, open our ears to hear you, Lord. Spirit. 